Well, it's great to be here with you today. I'm, I'm really happy. I've only been here one other time. I think about a year ago, I got to come out. Mark and I switched for that day. And um, when we decided this summer that all of the different churches within the family of churches that we were going to do this, this pastor swap in June, um, we didn't really know who would be going where, and we just kind of, uh, we just kind of had a little lottery system. And then I drew Canton, so I'm like, sweet, I've already been there once, this is great, I'd love to go back there and, and see you again, and just be encouraged about what God's doing here. We're always kind of watching from afar and praying for you and just celebrating alongside of you as you're, as you're growing and as you're doing just great things within your community here. So I've been um, really privileged to get to know Mark even in a, a better way over the last couple of years since Canton started because now we have this in common. We're both lead pastors at, at different places. And it's just really fun to see uh, what God is doing here. So I've been a part of the Oak Point I guess, family of churches ever since it was just one member of the family. Uh, there was just one Oak Point church about 25 years ago or so, and I, I was a part of the small group that went out um, from another church and started Oak Point. And so I know a little something about what it's like to be part of starting something, which is really exhilarating. It's also really exhausting all at the same time. And I, I got to visit your kids' area this morning and just check in there, and I said, thank you so much for serving, because I know... When you just have one service, if you're serving someplace, then that's where you're at, and you don't get to be in here. And I know you can watch it online later, but it's still, it's a, it's a sacrifice. And so uh, we, we pray especially for you at Canton, because um, I know a lot of effort goes into doing this every Sunday, and that's just part of, Sunday is just part of what you're doing. So we're real, real privileged to be in the same family with you, and, and I'm glad to be here today. Uh, Mark told me a little bit about where you've been this summer, and he said you've been in this series uh, called I Have Good News. And when we were thinking about, well, what are we going to speak on in these different locations? Are we going to do the same message, same theme? What are we going to do? Um, Mark and I were talking and said, well, actually, uh, you've been doing kind of the same series that we've been doing at Milford. All spring, we've been doing a series also on the idea of the mission of the church and the outreach uh, emphasis of the church. And we entitled our series at Milford called Sent, that we are people sent in, into the world. And Mark said, that'd be great. Just do, do something kind of uh, that you, you've already been focusing on at Milford. So out of the last, I think, seven, eight weeks or so we've been doing this series, I kind of thought, what's, what's been my favorite or one of my favorite moments of the last couple months at Milford? And I thought that's what I, I would love to bring here to Canton and, and share that with you too. So, so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, in our series at Milford, every week we've been starting the same way. And we started the series after Easter. And I, I think it'll fit perfect with, with where you've been. And we said we're asking a question. We're asking one simple but very profound question. And this is the question. Now that Jesus has done what he said that he would do, which is live a life of perfect obedience before the Father on our behalf, and then give his life as a ransom for many, go to the cross and, and do that on our behalf. And then he said, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he did all that. Now that he's done that, which we celebrated back on Easter, here's the question. What does he say to us that we should do? 
And the answer to that question is very obvious answer. It's an easy answer. It's, it's much harder to actually put this into practice. But we know it's the easy answer because Jesus tells us straight up, this is what I want you to do. And we hear his own words in this. After he rises from the dead, and then he's with a group of his followers, this is what he said. And it may be a very familiar passage to you. It's the end of Matthew's gospel. And it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is what I want you to do. Therefore, go and make disciples or learners or followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, Jesus says to us, now that you know me, I want you to join me in helping other people that right now they don't know me for them to be able to know me. In other words, I want you to live as a sent people into the world to know me and to make me known, which sounds a lot like our mission statement, right? That's the mission statement of every Oak Point church, knowing Jesus and making him known. Pretty simple, pretty, pretty straightforward. But like I said, not, not as simple and not as easy to actually live that out. That's a, it's easy on one level, and it's hard on another level. And as you read through the pages of Scripture, you listen to Jesus talk to his followers and the crowds, um, you realize that whereas the mission is very focused, it's very simple, yet it looks a lot of different ways. And we see that in all the parables of Jesus and his teaching. And all, you see that all over the place. Simple mission manifesting itself in lots of different ways. And the, the way I want to encourage you as a church today and exhort you as a church is that one of the ways that living as a sent people or living with a people, living as a people that have good news to share, one of the ways that that looks is that it looks like this. It looks a lot more like being a megaphone and a lot less like looking like an echo chamber. It looks like being a megaphone. And I'm going to show you what that looks like. And one of the best places to see this is from a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a young church, not unlike yourself. And he writes this letter to a church in a town called Thessalonica. And this is one of my favorite letters in the New Testament, mostly because of how Paul starts off the whole letter. And that's what we're going to get to hear this morning. This is what Paul writes to this church that I think we'll find out we have a lot in common with this church. This is what he says. To the church of the Thessalonians and God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. 
So Paul went to this town, this town called Thessalonica. He went there on his second missionary journey. And I know we have a map of this, but I know you have a, a different projector today. You may not be able to see it that great. Oh, that's actually better than I thought. Okay, so on his second missionary journey, um, he starts way over here to your right, and he's going to make a big loop. And right at the top of that loop, you could see in a little bit bigger font the city of Thessalonica. And Paul goes to this city on his second missionary journey. And the reason Paul goes on this journey is that he knows that God has called him to be this, to be a megaphone. Now, this is an old school megaphone, right? No electronics in this megaphone whatsoever. This is just old-fashioned um, megaphone. Now, I was, uh, I was absolutely terrible at physics in high school. I was a pretty good student and everything else, but there was something about physics that I just could not get my, my mind wrapped, wrapped around that. And that was the only class in high school that I got a C in. And I got a C in physics class, even though at the time I was dating the valedictorian of our, of our school. <laughs> so I had plenty of study help <laughs> in physics class, but that didn't really, that didn't help me a whole lot. I, I earned a solid C um, in physics class in high school. But even for me, uh, a liberal arts major, um, I still can understand and grasp the concept of how a megaphone works. And you probably know that too, right? How does it work? Sound goes in here in the small end, right? And when it goes in there, when you talk into this, the sound waves that get produced from your voice, they travel up the top of this to the middle and they start to resonate. They start to get amplified and they start to circle around each other. So much so that when it comes out here and goes out there, it's a lot louder out there than when it started in here, right? Not, not that hard to understand. So I thought, well, let's give this a try. Let's see if this actually works. So I'm going to turn off the the, um, the modern megaphone, which is, which is this right here, which Yeah, so not, not, that, not that hard to understand how this megaphone works. God called Paul, the Apostle Paul, uniquely to be one of these, to be a megaphone for the good news or for the gospel, right? This idea that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again on our behalf. God called Paul uniquely to be a particular type of megaphone, which is amazing, when you think about it, because if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you know that his life started out very much not as a megaphone for the gospel. Right? He, he says himself, he says he was, a, he was a persecutor of the church. He tried to just stamp out the church. And he also said, I was a blasphemer of God. So my words going forth, Paul says, actually, they, they were not glorifying Lord. They were about a lot of other things, but they, they weren't about that. So it's amazing that God called Paul to be a megaphone. But maybe something even more amazing is that God says, I call every single person that knows me 
to be one of these in your own time, in your own place. God calls all of us in a general way to be a megaphone of the gospel. So what happened? What happened when Paul actually used his life and used his voice to be one of these, to be a megaphone? What happened when he showed up in Thessalonica? Well, we just heard it, right? Paul says that the gospel or this good news about who Jesus is and what he's done for us, the gospel came to them with power, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Now, Paul used his voice. He put his voice in here, and it went out here. So, yes, his voice got louder, but it was the power of God that came upon these people as a result of hearing the gospel. And the word, the word Paul uses for power is literally the word that we use when we say dynamite. It's dunamis. It's, it's, in his language, he was saying, the word of God came to you with dynamite. And what happens when, when dynamite gets used somewhere? Stuff blows up, right? <laughs> that's, what it's, that's what its purpose is. That's what it was made to do. It blows things up so that what was there before is different now. Things have changed. The landscape totally changes. And that's exactly what you see happening here in this city of Thessalonica. When Paul comes, yes, he uses his voice, but God brings the power. So we could say this. As disciples of Jesus sharing the gospel, we should expect powerful results from God when we do that. When we use our lives, when we use our voices, we should expect out here not power from ourselves, but we should expect some kind of a dynamite experience in, in the world that we live in around us. And so right out of the gate, I see this happening here with Paul and Thessalonica, and I have to ask myself a question, and I'll ask you the same question. Do I expect that to happen with, with my life? Do I expect God to blow things up around me when, when I use my voice, when I use my life to share the gospel? Do I expect things to happen? Do I expect God's power to come? And I have to, I have to answer honestly, well, most of the time, no. Most of the time, I don't. Most of the time, I think it's just, it's just me being obedient or it's me being just me. Um, and I think, well, how, how can anything happen, you know, from that? But when Paul did this, the gospel came with power. So the gospel comes in power, and it blows stuff up. That's what it does. And in this church, in this city, there are two ways that this dynamite power caused a change. Two radical things changed when the gospel came. And that's what I think you're going to be most encouraged about this morning. So, so what are these two things? The first thing is change. Change. Change came into the lives of real people when the gospel came near to them. Let's read on. Paul says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering 
with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. When the Thessalonians welcomed this message that Paul brought, and God came upon them in power, there was a change in their lives. And the change is that they became imitators, Paul says, of the Lord, right? That's what he says. They became imitators of the Lord. And the word Paul uses here is the word we get our, in our language, where we get our word mimic. Mimic. These people mimicked the Apostle Paul and they mimicked the Lord. Now, mimicry is one of the most basic human traits. It happens so often, so frequently, so everywhere around you, this idea of mimicry, it happens so often that we don't even think about it. We don't even realize it's happening all around us. For example, you go, after church is done this morning, we'll go out into the lobby and the kids are going to pour out from the kids' spaces, right? And the kids are going to run to their parents, um, passing by the donut table or bagel, bagel table on the way, I'm sure. Um, and what you're going to watch, if you, if you just kind of sat back in the hallway and you just watched that, you'd be like, oh, oh, that's, um, that's a Kaminsky kid. You know, I, already, I know that. I, I didn't even need to know that, that that's part of the family. I can watch this kid. And um, I could be like, oh, watch that. She, she gone. Just like Mackenzie. Look at that, right? Right down the hallway. How they stand, what they do with their hands, right? Let alone the way they, the way they look, right? Or, oh, th- oh this child, that, that, that goes with that family right there. there. There's a mimicking going on. Or you see it, um, you see it sometimes, with, let's say, someone from Michigan, they move down to Alabama, maybe for work, right? And they live down there. For five years, and then they come after a couple of years. They they come back at Christmas time, and all of a sudden, their speech gets a little slower, and their vowels get a little longer, and they start using words like oh, "I'm gonna fix" and "I'm gonna go fix and to do this." Right? It's like, what happened to you? Well, there's this natural there's this natural process of mimicking that around us that just happens all the time, and we don't even think much about it. So that happens naturally, right? But what Paul's talking about here with the Thessalonians, he's talking about intentional mimicry, intentional mimicry. The Thessalonians were hearing what the Lord said. They were hearing what God said was true about him, what was true about them, what's true about life. They were hearing that. They were watching the life of Jesus as Paul would talk about how Jesus lived his life, they were watching how the Apostle Paul lived, how he conducted himself, the way in which he talked, how he served, how he worked hard, how he respected. They were hearing and they were watching. And then you know what they were doing? They were adjusting their lives accordingly. They were intentionally mimicking the Lord's words and the Lord's life. Paul says, you became imitators, you became mimickers of us. In other words, they were becoming disciples of the Lord. What did Jesus say to that group of people after he died, rose again, and he said, this is what I want you to do. Now that I've done what I said I would do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to go make followers. I want you to go make 
mimickers of me. Not, not just in outside physical actions, but in here. In here and in here. That, of course, leads to actions, right? We could say this. Disciples of Jesus are people who strive to imitate the Lord in everything. In everything. The way he talks. The way he thinks. What he gets excited about. What he gets mad about. What he loves. What he prays for. How he uses his time. What he does with his hands. Where he fixes his eyes. In everything. A disciple is someone who mimics their Lord in everything. That's what a disciple is. And so I have to ask myself another question at this point. As I see Paul's interaction with this young church. And he says, you became imitators. You became mimickers. You became disciples of the Lord. I have to ask myself this question. And I'll ask you the same thing. Is my life listening to the words of Jesus, watching what he does, and then constantly adjusting accordingly? Is that, is that a true thing in my life? Is that just normal fare for me? I listen, I watch, I mimic the Lord. Because if the answer is not so much, can I really call myself a disciple of Jesus? I think you could call me an observer of Jesus. Maybe you could even call me an admirer of Jesus. But you could not call me a disciple of Jesus unless my life was mimicking in words and in actions, in affections, what I see in my Lord. That's what a disciple is. That's what Jesus came to make. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, when you become a disciple of me, that's where the abundant life is found. And so it's not just behavior modification. It's, it's whole life transformation for our good. That's what Jesus is after, being a disciple. So that's the first thing. When, when power comes, right, when Paul shows up and he uses his little voice to talk about what he's seen and what he's heard and who he's met in Jesus, when he uses his little voice and it comes out here loud, it's like dynamite. Things blow up. And the first thing that we see happening is there's change. There's legit change in the lives of people that hear and receive this good news. That's the first thing. But there's one, there's one other thing. There's one other thing that happens. When this power comes, yes, it changes them. But the second thing is that it brings impact to their world around them. It brings impact. Let's read on. Here's our last Part of the passage. Paul says, okay, you became imitators of, of us. Yes, mimickers of us. And so you became a model 
to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of a reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Did you notice what happened to the Thessalonian church? Did you notice the imitators, right? You became imitators of us. The imitators, the mimickers, now are being the imitated or the mimicked, right? You see the cycle that's happening? They heard, they received, they adjusted, they mimicked, and now what's happening around them? Other people are seeing that. Like, whoa, what's going on with you guys? I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm watching what you're doing. Now others are, are mimicking this young church. Paul says, exactly. That's exactly what is supposed to be happening. Paul says they became a model to other believers in the surrounding regions. And he lists a couple ways they were models. He says, you've been model in your faith. You've been a model in your hospitality. You've been a model in how you've how you've adjusted, how you've turned from idols to serve the living and true God. You've been a model in how you've been waiting upon the Lord, even in the midst of suffering. You've been willing to wait on the promises of God. Wow, Paul says, the messages rang out from you. They themselves, this young church, now they are the megaphone. Now their lives are echoing forth the gospel. Which is the exact opposite of what an echo chamber is. The exact opposite. While a megaphone, we already, we already had the physics lesson on this, right? Of how the megaphone works. While a megaphone is a funnel, right? Little end here, big end ear. Both ends are open, sound comes in, gets big, goes out, stuff blows up. A megaphone is a funnel. An echo chamber is a box with a closed side. An echo chamber is a box that's closed on all of its side. And what happens in, a, in an echo chamber is the sound goes in, it reverberates, but there's nowhere for the sound to get out. And the sound gets, just gets trapped inside because it's closed up. So let's try this. All right? I, brought, I brought some more props this morning. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to close up the end of this megaphone. And to do that, I need some tape. And I have pre-cut my circle to the right size. I did better in shop class than I did in physics. <laughs> All right, so we can close this up. It's not going to be perfectly airtight like maybe a box would, but you can see it's closed up on the end. So now, 
Let's try this again. I'll turn off the electronic megaphone. Okay, we're back. So in this experiment, I notice, I notice a couple of things. The first thing I notice is that no sound comes out, right? And you probably noticed that too. It doesn't get loud like it was before. You know what else I noticed though? And this wouldn't be apparent to you out there unless you came up here and you were the one speaking into the end of this. The other thing I noticed is that when I speak in here, in this echo chamber, it gets really loud to me. It gets really loud to me. And as, as I was talking into that, it's just, it is so loud in my ears, I can't hear anything else. All I can hear is me in the sound of my own voice because it's going out and it's just coming right back. It's reverberating back to me. That's an echo chamber. Now we all know, and we've heard this term, especially the last couple of years uh, since COVID, um, we've all seen this and heard about this in our culture, right? Echo chambers happen all the time. They happen within companies. They happen within organizations. They can happen within communities. They can happen within families. They can happen within political parties, can't they? Where the sound goes in here, it gets really big, the end is closed up, And so there's nothing coming out here. Nobody can really understand what is being said to them. All they hear is it just reverberating from the inside here. It's all muffled and garbled. There's no clarity. And the other thing is it gets really, really loud to the people who are speaking. And so they can't. They can't hear anything anybody else is saying to them. All they hear is the sound of their own voice. So when that happens in a culture, when that happens in a country, that's, that's tough. That's tough because there's, there's no understanding, there's no listening. That, that causes a lot of problems, right? But when it happens in the church, it's devastating to the mission. It's absolutely devastating. And the reality is that sometimes it does happen. In fact, we're prone to that happening in the church because why because we have we have the good news right we have the gospel and we're very fond of that and we like learning things and so we talk about that right and as we talk about it amongst ourselves the sound of that gets louder and louder as as it's prone to do when a group of people begin to talk together right but here's the thing sometimes as churches, we don't think so much about our mission in the people out there that God says, I want you to go make disciples of people that don't know me yet. We think, we have a tendency of just to think about ourselves. And when we do that, out of balance, thinking about ourselves, then we close up the end of our megaphone and we get transformed into an echo chamber. And when that happens, not only can people out there not hear what we're saying, but all we can hear 
is ourselves. And so we don't hear what they're saying to us. We can't even hear the sound of the community that we live in, what their needs are, what their fears are, what their passions are, what their interests are. And we just become turned inward, a really loud echo chamber. And so that's why so much, when you read so much in the Gospels and so much in the epistles of the New Testament, I mean, really the whole Bible, this emphasis on being a people that are to pursue wholeheartedly knowing God, yes, and at the same time, be mindful that God is calling you to be an ambassador, to be a megaphone to those out there. It's, it's both and at the same time, all the time. God calls us to be megaphones, not echo chambers. God has called us to make the faith known to everyone. So how, so how do we do that? How do we, how do we take this good news and how do, how do we help ourselves keep this end open, speak in here, celebrate it, love it, keep the end open though so that other people can hear and we don't, we don't get our ears stopped up with just our own preferences and our own desires. Well, two ways have been really helpful for me. And this will be the last thing I'll encourage you with and exhort you with this morning. Two things. The first thing is try to be mindful and try to remember your own story of what it was like for you um, to be living life less close to the Lord than you are now. Maybe that was a big chunk of your life. You know, some of you, some of you grew up in, in great home environments where you, you heard the good news uh, early, and it's always been part of the fabric of your life. That's awesome. That's so great. That, that wasn't me, um, and it's nobody's fault than my own. Um, I just, I wasn't listening very much at all to that. So I didn't become a Christian until I was a senior in high school. So I can remember really clearly um, those high school years of what it was like to just be trying to do life and figure out life with having no concept at all about who Jesus was. Zero. <laughs> I can remember that. And so for me, it's, it's really helpful for me just to remember what that was like. In my, and, and that makes me grateful. It makes me thankful of the Lord's grace and mercy. We sang a song about that uh, before communion, right? About just kind of charting out the, the trajectory of, that our life takes apart from the gospel. So we have to remember that. And we all have our own stories. So you have your own story. But remember what it was like when you were less close to the Lord. And then here's, here's the second thing. Try to put yourself in the shoes of other people that, that don't know this good news right now. And rather than trying to judge or separate yourself from, to have, ask God to help your heart to have compassion for them the way that God has compassion for them. To see them as Jesus sees them, as separated from him, as lost, like he says, sheep without a shepherd. 
and just to realize that, you know, they're doing the best that they can apart from the Lord. So to remember your own story and then to, to focus on other people not as barriers or obstacles or problems, but just people that they need, they need to hear what God has shown you. That's the mission of the church. And it's a constant challenge. It, it, it's a both and, 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 and uh, we always kind of fall off the ditch on one side or the other on that, and then God just keeps bringing us back to the center. Yep, I want you to know me, and I want you to be part of making me known to other people. And that's what we pray for our church in Milford, and that's, that's what we're praying for you here in Canton as well, because that's, that's God's heart for the church. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing a closing song. Lord, thank you for this word to us today from the Thessalonian church where we see how they became a megaphone and it wasn't because they were clever. It wasn't because they had all the answers. It's just you shared with them the good news. They received it and then they in turn, they became a conduit of that good news to other people around them. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be like that as your disciples. Lord, first, that we would hear your words, we'd watch your ways, we would adjust our lives accordingly. And then, Lord, would you use us Point Canton? Would you use us at Oak Point Milford, all the other locations? Father, would you use us to be a megaphone? And as you use us, God, would you bring your power? Would you bring your dynamite? Lord, so that we can see real change, real impact around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.